When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How would you like to ramp up your club's game day atmosphere? Big Screen Video is giving 10 lucky sports clubs the chance to win a $10,000 grant towards their own digital scoreboard. Register now at iCanWin.com.au slash BSV. On 882 6BR, inspiring stories for Barra and O'Day, WA's family-owned funeral directors. Hello, my name is Tivik Bell and welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day, doing ordinary things extraordinarily well. Uh, my next guest uh, is a name that is uh, familiar to many people, just uh, in business circles, in philanthropy circles, uh, in mining and resource circles, and also uh, many other circles as well. We'll get through as many of those uh, as we can in the next hour or so. I speak of uh, the 2012 Senior Australian of the Year and a great West Australian in George Jones AM. So, George, welcome to the program. Thanks very much. Nice uh, to be here. George, uh, 2012 Senior Australian uh, of the Year, that's that's quite a title That was the Senior Australian of the Year for Western Australia. Yep. Um, um, I was privileged to win it um, or to be awarded it. And uh, as I said earlier, I'm, we're having a general discussion. Um, it, it helps the overall profile, which helps what I do in the charity area. Well, you know, oftentimes, uh, you know, you come to, to be in the running for these awards because you've, you've got a great body of work behind you, uh, as you have, which we'll explore over the next uh, hour or so. But uh, what was it, do you think, that, uh, that, that, that got you that title, that win? Oh, look, it's up for others to judge that, really, the people Come on, that George, um, don't recommend me for the award. But... <laughs> well, what did the judges say in, uh, in their reasonings for Well, they don't uh, tell you that. To you? They don't tell you? They don't tell you that, no. Yeah, right. Okay. And that year itself, when you're when you're out there representing, carrying that that title, what do you actually have to do? Well, the idea of um, you know the award is for your contribution to the community, and so it's continuing doing what you're doing in yep. the community. Um, nothing specific. Uh, I think if you're the Australian, the, the senior Australian of the year, the federal awards, I think you've got a more uh, organised role representing things. But the state one was less regulated, and. Yep. Uh, I just continue doing what I was doing. Just doing what you're doing. Yeah. Um, Speaking of doing what you're doing, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I turn 74 next month and I decided when I was 70 that there was time to slow down on the business front. Um, So now my time goes mainly on um, looking after my wife and going for a few cruises each year. Yep. And the rest of the time on charities, what I do for charity. Keeps you busy, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah, just speaking about uh, about business, a, a lot of people might associate you know you with your uh, time at um, uh, at Sundance Resources. Um, of course, we have to uh, talk about that that terrible tragedy, um, and, and I'm sure this will set some um, you know some memories uh, going as I you know reflect on the details. But um, so this was basically the board of Sundance uh, was in was in Africa was on a, a small private plane. Uh, that plane went missing. Uh, as it turned out, uh, there were no survivors. You lost the entire board uh, of a fairly substantial 
resources company that was doing business uh, in Africa. Can, can you talk us through that, that chapter of your life? Sure. Look, well, I'd been the chairman of Sundance Resources um, and uh, I was involved in getting it off the ground um, and substantially along the way. Um, and I suffer, started suffering badly from what's known as Meniere's disease, which is a serious balance disorder. <clears throat> and I actually thought my working career was over. And uh, so I made arrangements for other people to step in as, as, as chairman. Um, and and I went off and had operations and and uh, things to get over the Meniere's, um, which I've successfully done. But it was after I'd stepped down, that period just after I'd stepped down that um, um, the entire board of Sundance and a couple of the senior management um, were in Africa looking at the projects there. They'd actually booked two aeroplanes and they weren't too small, they were quite large, um, but one of them was unserviceable on the day. So the whole lot of them standing on the tarmac all the way, because we're talking about Congo and the Republic of Congo is in, in deep dark Africa. And they, on the tarmac, they must have, I mean, there's no evidence to this, but they must have all said, look, we'll all get on the same plane. The plane was, was OK. There's nothing wrong with the plane. Um, the pilots were experienced pilots. One was French and one English, had been flying in this area of Africa for 15 years. Um, they were, the executives and board were quite keen to just fly over another project that might have been of interest, which was along the way, but just slightly off course. Yep. So the pilots who knew the area just flew over the top of this other project and heading back to where they were heading for, um, they flew into what they thought was cloud, but there was a quite a large hill behind it and they flew straight into the side of the hill. Wow. Um, the people on the plane wouldn't have had any idea. They th- thought they were flying into Clato. And uh, unfortunately, all of the people on the plane perished. I remember um, when the news first came through uh, that the plane um, had gone missing and there was uh, a period where at least there was a search uh, for any potential survivors. Uh, that must have, you know, that must have been a... <laughs> An anxious time to say the the absolute least uh, for you. Well, I'd I'd um, as I said, I'd stepped down. Mm. Um, but the, but you would have been one of the first people they'd called on. Well, imagine. I, I was, and thankfully, because knowing uh, I knew all of the people very well, I yeah. appointed most of them, and I knew the company's affairs well, and so I was the logical person. I mean, I didn't really want to do it. No, but um, I regarded a lot of well, most of them if not all of them, because I didn't know some of the people on the plane, but they're all uh, mates as you become, if you get along well, around a board table. Mm. And I felt that um, the responsibility to to do it, because I was the most likely person to be able to handle the whole range of issues that needed to be dealt with. Mm. How did you you go dealing with, um, you know, having to navigate your way around uh, all all of the things that you have to do when there's a a mass tragedy like this, but uh, in a a jurisdiction like... Congo, vastly different to our own. You know, I, I, I recall at the time I think you had to um, uh, basically uh, dig out a road so that you could no. access the bodies and repatriate. No, there were no? no roads. The closest yeah. road was 70 kilometres. I mean, just, just, just getting just, the bodies out of there was, a, was just, a mission, wasn't it? Just to step back a bit, um, I mean, I wasn't a director. I had no authority. Yep. 
uh, and there was wasn't anyone left alive that had authority. Yeah, and so I assumed uh, what do they say uh, an imprecise legal term as a de facto director. Um, I had two other people join me. One of them, one of the company's lawyers, who's a very experienced person, and sort of steered us through some of the legal situation. So I, uh, when you take over, do something as a de facto director, you become actually personally liable for anything that goes wrong after that. Mm. So that, that was, um, I was aware of that, but I was still prepared to do it because I had confidence that I would do the right thing. Um, the company, fortunately, was in a good financial shape. So the first days, the company had a well-organised recovery plan that was put in place uh, while I was there. Um, the CEO was an extremely competent fellow named Don Lewis, and the, the, the plan for recovery of situations like that had kicked in a um, couple of hours before um, I was called in, and, and part of that was um, uh, a search. Yeah. Um, it's quite a remote area, but they managed to, I think at one stage we had something like 10 aircraft, helicopters and planes in the air, and they were all given a section to search, a grid search, and uh, um, the, it was found by chance, the pilot that flew over the top of the area where the plane went down didn't see it, and he was making another pass further down and for some reason he looked sideways instead of looking down where he should yep. be looking and it just didn't look right it was a funny shape on the side of the hill and so um, um, he flew back over it and thought that's, that's where it is there were no roads so we called on the French military were operating in the area so we called on them for assistance because some of the people on the plane were French and they, they gave the assistance and the helicopter flew over the top and the the troopers um, rappelled down on ropes and uh, found the, the plane and all, yep. the, all the people on it that were mm. deceased. I, I suppose uh, to, to those who, who aren't um, perhaps uh, aware and appreciative of, uh, of um, you know, some of the protocols that you have for, for senior uh, corporate executives and government officials, um, you know, probably wondering, uh, is it being paranoid that you put you know, government ministers on on separate planes if they have to go off somewhere. Um, you know, and the same with corporate executives. This is this is the reason why you do it, isn't it? Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. Um, so you've then had to basically step back in and 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 take charge of this pretty substantial uh, company in Sundance Resources with you know big assets here in in, in Australia. And no, as well, not so much know, Australia. Most of them are in Congo and Cameroon. Most in Africa. Um, that must have been incredibly tough. Um, well, it was because I was um, into a recovery program from um, the, the balance issues and mm. uh, the emotional side of it was probably the hardest because they were yeah. all friends uh, and having, you know, making contact with their families, um, yeah. their wives. Um, I mean, there, there's an extraordinary media pressure. Yeah. Um, luckily, the CFO of the company um, uh, stepped up and I, I appointed him. He took over as the temporary MD. Yep. So he, he was acting in that role and I was helping more and making the big decisions and, and I, I took responsibility for the media to, so he could get on with the job. Yeah. Um, when you look back at it now, it's, it's all a blur and you sit down and you think, did I really get that much done in, in that yeah. short amount of time? Yeah. Because uh, I, I personally had flown over these areas and I didn't ever think we'd find them. Yeah. And I had to 
be confident or, or appear confident that um, we, you know we're going to find them sooner or later. And yeah. the fact we found them in such a short time, and then we actually recovered them three or four days later with the yep. help of the French military. Um, uh, I was contacted by um, the CEOs of the biggest companies, mining companies in Australia, um, and complimented Sundance on achieving something they thought they couldn't have done it any better. Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose uh, it, it at least gave all those loved ones some closure uh, in a short space of time. We'll put that uh, chapter to rest uh, for now, George. We'll get on to other matters. Uh, I want to take you right back to your childhood uh, after after we take a break. George Jones uh, is our special guest uh, on this edition of WA's Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Back with more in a moment. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra and O'Day, generations of excellence since 1888. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882-6BR, brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Welcome back to this edition of uh, Inspiring Stories. George Jones uh, is my guest, uh, and this is 882-6BR. George, uh, I know you've been a a very passionate and vocal supporter of of many causes, uh, disadvantaged children uh, being one of them. Tell us about your own childhood, because from what I understand, it wasn't uh, what you might consider the... You know, the fairy tale, perfect upbringing. Um, well, I was born in 1944. Yep. Significant to that, it's, it's during the Second World War. Yep. Um, my mother um, had been married a couple of times before, and she met up with um, a guy named Jones. Uh, sorry, before that, um, a chap named Galloway, which is my biological name. And, and so I was born in 1944 in the middle of the war, um, the chap she teamed up with was a soldier, um, and after she fell pregnant with me, he disappeared. Um, she then married another soldier named Jones, um, who'd been in the war. Um, he'd been bayoneted twice, once in the Middle East and once in New Guinea, and he, after the war, became a chronic alcoholic, Yep. and uh, he corrupted my mum. She became an alcoholic. And uh, we were taken off them when I was five into various orphanages, uh, the principal one being Parkable, which, which we'll talk about later, I hope. Yeah. Um, and I was uh, in the orphanages until I was 15, which is an interesting story because I was given £20 um, and a dress to go to to board and get on with the rest of your life. Wow. At the age of 15. What was £20 worth back in those days? What would that what would that sort of roughly translate to now? Oh, well, that was about two weeks' wages. Mm. So, yeah, and that could be a couple hundred dollars. Yeah. So, the age of five. Do you? I mean, do you remember much? Yeah, I do. before that, I actually yeah. remember when I was five better than I do five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and and that's probably because they were um, pretty profound moments in your life, ones that you probably would have uh, rather not uh, experience. But. Um, I, 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 look, I can't imagine what it's like being ripped away from that don't, environment don't, and put into a Don't into uh, a you or time. any of your listeners feel sorry for me because um, it did me a favour because I was taken out of the environment mm. that I was in and I, and I was brought up in orphanages. And I give Parkerwell a lot of credit because um, at least I was taught things, you know, like a work ethic, um, yep. how to talk properly, table manners, Got me to finish at least third year high school. 
um, and so on. And, and I, I look back at those years and think I'm, I'm lucky I had that start. Yeah. So we're talking about then pretty much uh, late 40s, all of the 50s, into the 60s. You're, you're, no, no, so I, I left Parkville in 59. 59. Um, what's it like there? I mean, are you in a dormitory? A dormitory? Are you, are no, you there was, together with siblings? Uh, what's it like in there? Well, I did have some other siblings, um, none direct, but a half, two half-sisters and a half-brother. I call them brothers and sisters, um, the two sisters are still alive, and we lived in cottages. There were about eighteen per cottage. Yeah, had cottage parents. So it was just a big house, really a big, like a big house. The verandas had beds stacked along them, and yeah, that was all fine. You were safe. I mean, you were safe, and you got fed, and uh, you were secure. So yeah, I, I, I didn't mind those years, and as I said, it shaped me. And uh, one of the things I distinctly remember is by the time I was eight. I roughly worked out that um, I was responsible for myself. Mm. There's no point blaming anyone, anyone else for the way you are in life. There's some heavy life lessons to learn, though, at such a tender age, aren't they? What? There's an yeah. alternative. Exactly. <laughs> you, you just do it or you, or, or you perish. Yeah. yeah. Um, those uh, um, events then, back, back then, uh, I, I'm guessing, shaped um, much of, of who you are now. Um, you've made it part of your, your mission in, uh, in, in later years to, uh, to support disadvantaged children and you've opened uh, the, the George Jones uh, Advocacy Centre. Is, is that experience of yours sort of you know, part of the reason why you've done that? Oh, there's no question. Um, when, when I was able to, I mean, it's, you know, life's a bit of a struggle. You yeah. get married and have kids and it's a bit of a struggle. So you don't have a lot to give away. Um, um, but as as I got more established and I got into the position where I, I was able to help, I did approach Parkle and said, what can I do? Mm. And that has led to a series of events. Parkle was, then was quite a small institution. Now it's very substantial. And uh, I've always wanted to help disadvantaged kids. Yep. Um, there's lots of ways you can help. And I just targeted uh, the ones that um, Parkle targets and yep. that's um, particularly the ones that abuse kids mm. particularly the sexually and physically abused kids. Yeah well there's been a whole generation of those uh, haven't there that, that, that still need help their lives have been absolutely ruined by it. Well the Royal Commission has shown how prevalent this stuff yeah. is and uh, it's, a, it's a tragedy for mm. our society that happens it does. So. Can I ask did, did your relationship with your, with your mum recover in, in, in years after that? Um, I tried to when I, I left Parkable, but um, um, she was a chronic alcoholic and uh, I thought it was probably best that I move on and get on with the rest yeah. of my life. It took me about two years. I did everything I could, but um, there wasn't much point. Uh, you joined the Army yeah. uh, not long after you got out of, uh, of Parkerville. Uh, what prompted you to, to, to sign up? Well, I tried to join... Um, the Navy when I got out of Parkville because I used to take... So you, you, you're 15 at this stage? I was 15, just yep. heading towards 15 and a half and they used to take people into the junior recruit scheme but um, I got refused and I'm sure it's because I'd grown up in Parkville. Right. So I did lots of different jobs. Um, you know, not having a home base and you know, I used to board and shift around. I tried lots of things. I won't bore you with the detail but there's plenty <laughs> of them. But it, it led to a stage where... I thought that I probably needed to do get stable for a while. Um, the Vietnam War had started and I felt the need to serve. So I, I joined as an, a, an adult 
I'm a trainee as a motor mechanic, so I'm a qualified bulldozer mechanic, um, and served um, nearly six years, yep. uh, 12 months in Vietnam, none of which I regret. Yep. Um, and that's that's how I ended up in the Army. It gave me a stable base. Um, by the time I left the Army, I was, I was married, and so I was able to form my own base. Yeah. Um, can I ask about your time in, in, in Vietnam? Um, was it a... a a scarring time for you? Was it an eye-opening time? You must have, you know, seen and, and had to do some things there that were that were pretty intense as well, huh? Um, look, I um, wasn't scarred by Vietnam at all. Um, it was dangerous, uh, but there were lots of us there. Um, I think my training, the way I grew up in Parkville, um, I, was, I was sort of a bit... Um, bulletproof from being affected by things like that. So I I can't say I particularly enjoyed it, but I don't regret going there, the yep. experiences. Yep. Um, I learned when I was there that this probably was futile being there because it was going to end the way it ended. Um, I was there in 68, 69, which was right in the middle of the worst bits. Um, but I, I was um, in an engineer squadron um, and I was in charge of part of a workshop fixing up equipment yep um but you know we were we were out running over mines and doing all sorts of stuff but it, i wasn't scarred by it at all and i, I actually am proud of the fact that i i did i did yeah a, a couple of things that you commonly hear from uh, people who've served over there is that they they come to the realization that the effort there was i don't want to say futile but like you said it was probably going to end the way it was going to end uh, and the other thing that they often talk about is uh, the reception they got when they got back to Australia. Um, can I get you to reflect on that? How did you find uh, your treatment once you got back to Australia? Well, as the plane was coming in, we, we had to be ch- changed into civilian clothes. So yeah. We couldn't be identified in the airport as soldiers. Is that right? And uh, we were, you know, with one with the unit that were spotted, they were pelted by paint bombs. Is that right? At the, at the airport? At the airport. At Perth Airport, yeah. Well, that was the time of Jim Cairns and Julia yeah. Morosi and all of these things. And the, the Australians, I mean, I, I understand it, you know, the flower power people. I wasn't proud as an Australian that that happened because it was disgraceful. But it did happen and it showed the emotion about it in Australia, you know, national service and yeah. so on. Yeah. And on national service, if I could say one thing about them, they a lot of them went in kicking and screaming, but I, I, did, I don't remember talking to one that after he'd served these two years wasn't proud of the fact they'd done it. Yeah, are you still in contact with any of your, your Vietnam oh, yes. Yes. friends at all? Yep. Yeah, um, so I suppose next, that given next, you, you come back into that environment, you probably need each other as a support network. Um, well, you, you, you do, but friendship formed in those conditions are special. Mm. And they're one, so I guess it's like a grand final team. I remember everything for forever after that. But I've, I've you know, still, and I'm driving next week across to the grand final and then going up the Gold Coast to um, to see them. There's about four or five of my Vietnam friends up there. Yeah. I won't ask you who you're tipping. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we don't want to get controversial just yet, uh, George. <laughs> we'll leave that I'm one alone. Sh- I'm not ashamed of being an Eagles supporter. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes, we'll leave that alone, but uh, all the best, all the best. I hope it's a drive worth it. 
<laughs> so do I. Yes, at least you're not just going for that. Um, George, we need to take a break, but after that, I want to get into your uh, extraordinary business career because we, we've only really touched on the tragic uh, element to your business career, but there's plenty uh, of other details to it as well. So uh, we'll do that right after this. This is WA's Inspiring Stories uh, with George Jones. Uh, everyone has a story to tell. This one brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Back with more in a moment. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra and O'Day, generations of excellence since 1888. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR, brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, George Jones AM is my special guest. Uh, George, we've covered uh, Sundance. We've covered uh, your uh, early years uh, in the Parkerville Children's uh, Home. Uh, You've done six years uh, in the Army, including a stint in Vietnam. You're now back, uh, obviously trying to resettle uh, and start a new life. So you joined the bank. Yes, that was a coincidence (laughs) because I went down to the bank to us, got back and... uh, Moved out of the army house, and we had to. I was wanted to buy my own, so I went down to the ANZ Bank where I banked. And uh, the bank manager there was a World War Two serviceman. And uh, one of the things they do is your income and what job you're going to, you got, and so on. And and I said, well, I'm starting with the public service. And he said, have you in, ever thought about joining the bank? And I said, no, not really. He said, would you be interested? And I said, oh, yes, I would. So I picked up the phone and rang personnel, and the char- guy in charge there with another ex-serviceman from the Second World War, and later that afternoon I had a job with the ANZ Bank. So, so was that, in hindsight, that, that I suppose, camaraderie amongst uh, you know, ex-servicemen and women, no, that, no that doubt. was what sort of embraced you, you know, into that, that banking family? Yeah. It's got it started. Fantastic. Have you always been good with numbers? Because clearly you have a gift with numbers, but uh, where did that come from? <laughs> no idea. <laughs> no idea. It's just the way your brain's wired. Yep. Um, so you joined the ANZ. It's a fairly, a fairly rapid rise uh, through the ranks there. Well, it was, as a motor mechanic out of the army, it, it was soft, you know it was interesting. But I had had worked in offices. Mm. And I, I was good at numbers, and um, I was I had actually started studying a degree because I knew you, you had to get qualified to get on. Yeah, and um, I kept studying while I was in the bank, and they. Um, um, helped me to um, finish my degree. I mean, yep. they, my final year, um, they let me study full time on yep. full pay. Yeah, and uh, I, I enjoyed the bank. Um, the ex- business experience across ten years has really stood me yep. well yep. all the years since. Um, Terry Strap is a, is a name that uh, is uh, fairly well known in business circles uh, here in uh, w- WA. Uh, he became your your business partner. How did that relationship form? Well, we we were friends in the bank, yeah. and um, when I left the bank, um, um, well, I hope it didn't unsettle Terry, but he decided to leave as well. Yeah. And, so he was uh, at the ANZ with you. Yeah. 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 And uh, I'd started on my own, and about six to nine months later, um, Terry left the bank and joined me, and we formed a partnership that went very well for quite a long time. Doing doing what exactly? Um, well, with our banking experience, we felt that we had a lot to add. Um, dealing with people that interacted with banks, and that's nearly everybody. Yep. Uh, and being in Western Australia, it had a mining emphasis. Um, we we had built up a very substantial client base, uh, just advising them basically on how to deal with banks. Yeah. Um, foreign currencies, um, borrowing money, paying it back, what you do when you get into trouble, 
all of those things. These are the very early days before there were finance breaks. I mean, they're everywhere now, but back in the early 80s, it was quite innovative what yeah. we were doing, and uh, we were very successful at it. The, uh, the the culture around banking and the and the public perception of banks has changed <laughs> quite a bit for the probably for the worse uh, over the years. That advice that you were giving people uh, in the eighties does it still hold now? Do you reckon it does? It's, yeah, it's, it's, because we we knew what the banks got up to, <laughs> and we were able to, to advise them how to how to how to manage that process. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was as I said, good training and. <laughs> we got pretty well established fairly quickly because there's mm. a big demand for it. Yeah, that's built up now. I mean, there's brokers everywhere now. Yeah, any of the revelations in the in the Banking Royal Commission come as a as a, as a surprise to you? Not really. No. Mm. There you go. Take that from someone who's been on either side of the equation. There, um, you then made your, your I suppose your first foray into into public uh, companies. Uh, tell us about that. Well, after you know, after. Terry and I had been partners for nearly ten years. We decided best to, um, to you know, to go different ways. Yeah. And uh, I um, felt, I, uh, with my studies, I concentrated. I I did the specialty of uh, what I'd always aspired to be was chairman of a public company. Yeah. So and I, so I specialised in all of those types of subjects, and so I put my money where my mouth is. I paid. Bought a twenty percent stake in a very small company, yep, and started building it. Um, that was a company called Consolidated Resources, yep, which had a small gold prospect uh, that turned out to be okay, and gradually built that. And uh, eighteen months later, it got taken over by another company, a larger company that needed the assets that it had, and uh, and so on. Just kept moving on from there. You're very humble, George, because you know some of these. Moves that you're talking about here, you know, translated to to great success and 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 great wealth for a lot of people. Uh, I'm sure. Uh, was it was it always the resources sector that you wanted to to get into and and become a chairman of a company within that space? A number of our clients, um, when I was with um, Terry Strap, um, were in the mining business, so yeah. we we had a lot of experience um, uh, dealing with mining companies and. Uh, doing their spreadsheet you know, in the early days with some of the juniors they didn't have the capabilities the financial capabilities we had to do mm. spreadsheets and, and arrange loans and all those sorts of things so it was the logical thing to do and, and I yep. enjoyed it yeah uh, I, I think some people uh, perhaps don't appreciate what a what a high risk uh, venture it can be uh, in in the resources sector here you know how much money gets spent on exploration there's a lot that goes into it before you finally get to dig something worthwhile uh, out of the ground uh, I mean factoring in all those those risks uh, you know you obviously have to take a, a fairly calculated approach to, uh, to these things um, that's a lot for for you to carry and it's quite a large burden of responsibility uh, where, where I was caught short I guess if I had to admit to a failing it's not having the geological background yeah um, I had the, all the finance and corporate governance and yep. and the ability to source capital and so on. Um, and it's in the because not everything has gone well. I mean, yeah, um, I've tried quite a few different things, and it's in the the technical advice I've had. There's been some shortfalls, and that that's a regret I had. So yep. I was, if anyone was going to try and 
um, do something like what I've done, um, you know, I concentrate on finance. I'd, I'd do a few geologicals <laughs> if you want to be in WA. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Consolidated Gold did unfortunately uh, collapse. Um, you probably took a bit of a hit with that, I imagine, um, financially and and, 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 reputation and reputation as quite, well. Quite How frankly, you... the reputation is the most important thing to me. How did you process that? Oh, with great difficulty. Mm. Just, just got back to work. At, at the same time as, as Consolidated Gold, I was also chairman of um, Portman Mining. Yeah. And that was going extraordinarily well. And the, the balancing the two, it was very, very hard. Um, I just kept doing the right thing. And, uh, you know, yeah. where I am now. <laughs> well, when you say, uh, you know, Portman doing pretty well, you raise its value from uh, from $20 million to almost $700 million. So um, I think we can chalk that one up as a success story. <laughs> George, we need to head to a break. But after that, I want to talk some more about your philanthropic and, and fundraising and, and charity work because there's a, a great amount of that to get through as well. Uh, George Jones uh, is our special guest in this edition of Inspiring Stories here on 882 6BR. Back with more soon. You're listening to another edition of Inspiring Stories on 882 6PR for Barra and O'Day, WA's family-owned funeral directors. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR, brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Welcome back to WA's Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest uh, is George Jones. George, just before we get into some of your uh, your charity Work you mentioned earlier, Meniere's disease. Um, that was, I suppose, really the, the the principal reason behind you stepping away from uh, from Sundance uh, prior to that uh, terrible plane tragedy. Um, can you just tell us what it is? Because I know you've been become a bit of a uh, of a spokesperson, if you like, around Meniere's disease. But uh, what is it, and what sort of an impact has it had on your life? The name comes from a French doctor who originally diagnosed it, and it affects your balance mechanism. Um, there's other other bits as well, but the balance is the main thing. Um, uh, I was misdiagnosed for over ten years. Um, it was, they called it labyrinthitis, which is similar but yep. but but different. And it got so bad. You know, I used to black out fairly frequently. And uh, do, do, doing what? Just just general. Yeah, you know, I, I could be sitting. I was sitting on an aircraft with my wife and just collapsed. Wow! And the air hostess came and poked me in the ribs and, and asked my wife if I was still breathing. So another time I, I blacked out, I got up to go to the toilet on the plane and just, I woke up sprawled across the galley with a doctor trying to revive me. <laughs> because of this yeah, Meniere's disease? blackout. Yeah. yeah, right. And it gets worse. How do you, so how do you manage it now? Well, it required, in the end, it was so far gone, it required an operation. I can't pronounce the word it's about. <laughs> um, but as Professor Marcus Atlas here in WA's world, one of the world's experts on it, operated on me and basically severed the balance nerve to my right ear. So on my right side, I'm deaf and also have tinnitus in it. Yep. They're all symptoms. Yep. They don't really know what causes menus, um, um whether it's viral um, or whether it's um, hereditary. Um, uh, a lot of people put it down to head traumas, of which I've had a couple. Yeah, uh, car accident, my head got beaten up a bit. So 
don't really know, but the symptoms are, if you have it, and I'm sure some of your listeners will be will, will be suffering from it, it's a debil- debilitating thing. It's because you feel nauseous mm. um, a lot. Yeah. And uh, the blacking out bothered me because um, <laughs> it meant that I couldn't, you know, I had to stop driving because if I blacked out when I was driving, I mean, it's okay if you want to kill yourself, but it's not fair to kill anybody else. Yeah. So are you, are you able to drive now? Oh, yes. I'm, yeah. I'm cleared. Okay. You just can't do things like... Well, um, jumping out of aeroplanes with parachutes, <laughs> um, bungee jumping, um, walking tightropes, all of those sorts of things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there are plenty of other ways to get your thrills, George. You don't have to jump out of a plane. <laughs> I did it once, and that was enough for me. <laughs> but look, yeah, some people love it. But anyway, that's a, that's a, an issue for another day. You went uh, went on to serve uh, on the board of the Ear Science Institute of Australia. I take it it was your experience with many years that drew exactly. you towards towards them. Are, are you still with them? Or, and, and no, what did, I'm, yeah, I'm, what did, what did you I'm chairman of trustees there. Look, yeah. um, I went to Marcus Atlas after afterwards and, you know, I was so pleased that I was able to get back to something like a normal life. I said, look, um, the, the kids that I deal with, you know, with Parkerwood, et cetera, they don't get access to people like you. Yeah. Um, I want to be able to, if we identify kids that should see someone like you, I want you to bring them in and I, I will pick up the tab that isn't covered by the system. Will you look at these? And he said he would. And I said, is there anything else I can do? And he said, as a matter of fact, he had this vision for the Year Science Institute and he needed to raise um, $20 million to build a building, research labs and, and hearing labs and so on in. And uh, uh, that's where I ended up. Yeah. <laughs> so we raised, raised the money for them. They got the build, you raised, helped raise the $20 million. Yeah. Wow. Nearly twenty. Um, had to borrow a little bit. Um, they got the building in Subiaco. Yeah, um, uh, I contributed towards that. And Marcus um, was so pleased with the outcome. So um, he, was, he was keen to see my name on that building. Fantastic. So opposite St John and God's in Subi. Yeah, um, they do a fantastic job. It must be um, uh, difficult to sort of you know make noise for for want of a better phrase and 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 draw attention to all of these. Because there are so many. Absolutely worthwhile causes out there uh, and people who are just working day and night trying to draw attention to their particular cause and raise, raise money for it. Mm. Um, in your experience in having to do that, how tough is it? Well, for me, it was I thought it was fairly easy because you can't do everything. Yep. Um, Parkable was a natural. And yep. The results Parkable's getting these days, I mean, they got com- commended by the Royal Commission into Sexual Abuse the, the modus operandi of Parkerville is regarded as world-class best practice and the Commission has recommended the other states of WA follow it. Um, the ear science came from my association with Marcus. You know, I've got hearing problems, tinnitus, yep. many years. I'm a classic. Uh, the other charity I s- big support is the RSL yep. with my service background. And I have a friend who has a, uh, a granddaughter that has um, cystic fibrosis, so I do some work with cystic fibrosis as well. That must keep you very busy still. Um, well, I, uh, apart from the money, because of the experience I've had um, you know, on corporate governance, um, fundraising, uh, just apart from my own money, I, I mean, I'm able to raise a lot because you know, I've, I've, I've worked out as much as you can, a way to do it. Mm. Um, other people are more successful. Um, but, um, you know, there's, there's a way you structure these charities so make sure they've got good boards. People don't want to donate 
uh, if they think the money's going to be wasted because there's yep. never any fees involved. Yep. Um, the companies, the trust, the, the foundations are well run. Parkwell is well run. Uh, the RSL now is, uh, Ear Science is, um, and Cystic Fibrosis are. That's a fundamental. When I try to help a charity, before we start talking about that, we need to get all these other things right. Yep. So that when I go to people, it's a credible situation. Yep. Um, because that credibility is fundamental. Uh, there are a lot of charities um, where money gets wasted. Yeah, and go towards this uh, extravagant startup, and then there's no way of sustaining them in the mm. uh, in the longer term. Mm. Uh, looking back over all of the things that you've achieved uh, in your time, George, what are you most proud of? Oh, look, um, there, there are a lot. I, I, I couldn't single. I'm, I'm proud of. Um, um, my family, um, obviously, um, they're very dear to me, um, but I, I couldn't single anything out. The, the one thing that I do think about, that if I drop dead, and I think as you drop dead in a millisecond, you'll, you'll, you'll think, are you happy dying or not? And I, I would die happy knowing they'll give them my best shot. Yeah. And look... The fact that Baron O'Day sponsored this segment, George, I, we're not suggesting that's going to happen anytime soon, so please don't. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure it doesn't. <laughs> no, you've still got so much to accomplish. We've got all these 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 charities and foundations that are relying on your ongoing work and support, George. So please don't go anywhere anytime soon. Um, you spend a lot of time, uh, as I understand, uh, going on, on, on cruises, uh, with your wife, um, with your Meniere's disease, is, is, the, is the, the cruise ship is obviously stable enough it doesn't upset your sense of balance? Um, I can't. Um, I used to have boats. I, yeah. can't, I can't own boats anymore because it's yeah. not safe for me to be on the water. Um, but on the big ships, it's not an issue. Yeah. Cruise lines these days are so good. Um, yeah. I've sailed probably uh, on big cruise liners and smaller cruise liners for about 400 days, and we've only been through one storm, and yeah. I slept through it, so I missed it. <laughs> there you go. Favourite spot you've been to? If you could only go back to one spot again, oh, there that's, are, there that's are, a tough one. I'm there sure. are three places in the world everyone should get to see. Yep. Um, one of them is the Kimberleys, yep. the Grand Canyon, and Alaska. Yep. Glacier Bay in Alaska is up there with the Grand Canyon and the Kimberley. One of the great cruises. The Kimberley off a boat is magnificent. Yeah. All right. Uh, George, thank you so much for coming in and and sharing your story with us. I feel like we've just scratched the surface on so many things, but I appreciate you uh, sharing those those stories with us. And uh, all the best for your future uh, charity work uh, and other philanthropic efforts. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's George Jones, the inspiring story of George Jones AM, WA Senior of the Year for 2012, among other things. You've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Everyone has a story to tell. This one is brought to you by Bower and O'Day. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another WA inspiring story. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com.